At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. My name is Rob Snow White, and this is my podcast. In episode 227, we're going to talk to Ellis King of River Tactical Flies. I met Ellis at the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. We decided to have a nice long discussion over Skype about musky fishing. In this episode, we're going to discuss Ellis's musky obsession. The most amazing 30 seconds of your life you can have when fishing. Hollow type musky flies. We're going to talk about how to grade and choose bucktail. And finally, we're going to talk about Ellis's tying crew. This episode is brought to you by Corkers. The Corkers brand was born 60 years ago on the treacherous banks of the Rogue River in Oregon. Their original river cleat was handmade out of rubber and spikes. The functional design quickly grew as a favorite among fishermen, and the rest is history. Through the years, Corkers has continued to innovate with purpose bringing advancements to fishing footwear. Interchangeable soles, bow lacing, and internal drainage are just a few wading boot firsts brought to you by the passionate folks at Corkers. Check out their latest product line at corkers.com or your local Corkers dealers. Corkers, helping you expand the boundaries of your outdoor adventures. One of the reasons I wear Corkers is that the interchangeable soles allow me to have three boots in one. I can swap out rubber with studs, sticky rubber with spikes, or plain old sticky rubber based on the weather, terrain, or if I'm in a boat. Another benefit is I can take off the soles and go into a store with linoleum floors and walk around and not slip. I can also go into stores with hardwood floors and not worrying about damaging them. That's one of the many reasons that I choose Corkers as my go-to waiting boot. 
boot. Now let's talk about muskies with Ellis King. All right, so we have Ellis King. Ellis, where are you checking in with us today? Man, I'm checking in from Galpolis, Ohio, right on the Ohio River across from Point Pleasant, West Virginia. You know, I really liked your acting job in uh, Stars Born. Can we hear you sing Shallow before we start? Man, I tell you what, I, you may think I got a pretty epic voice clear until I start belting it, and then it's no, it's no gravy. There you go. So if I'm throwing a dart at the Ohio map, where's that dart going to land in your neighborhood? It is going to land, go two hours up the river. So, you know, a couple hundred, 150 miles up the river from Cincinnati, right at the confluence of the Kanawha. About an hour north of uh, or upriver of Huntington, West Virginia. Okay. Where would that be in relation to Columbus then? Dead You'd south. Dead south. Almost 100% dead south. Okay. Are you near Cedar Point? Is that down that way? Dude, Cedar Point's up around Sandusky. Oh. That's eerie. I passed something once going to Cincinnati. Big roller that would have been Kings Island. There you that go. Would, that would have been that would have been the other amusement park that uh, Ohio has. Someone from Ohio is like, "How did he get that wrong? There's only two of them." But yeah, that's, right. I only go to Columbus, really. All right. So, do you have a, a celebrity lookalike out there that people who haven't seen you online or met you before would picture as we're speaking? So, when I lived in Lexington, Kentucky, and and I, I hate to say this. But a lot of people said that, because I used to bartend and wait tables down there, people said that I looked like Ashton, Ashton Kutcher. I don't really see it. I can be an idiot, kind of like he was on that 70s show. And there was a time that I had hair kind of like Kelso. So maybe that's where it comes from. All right. You could say you're his twin brother, but he already has a twin brother. Right. And I like, I, I want to, you know, you're I don't want to lay claim to anybody's twin. Um, but, right. There you go. All right. So you grew up where you're living now? Yeah. How'd you end up there? When I was 18 months old, I think, uh, the whole, the whole family came down here and man, I had the, if you want to, the picture perfect childhood, uh, grew, I grew up dead on the Ohio river. My front yard was the Ohio river. I had a dock down there. Uh, you know, my dad was my best friend. My brother, he and I, we 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 fished and we hunted. We we live we live the uh, the great American lifestyle. What was your favorite thing to hunt growing up? I was a so I, I go really hard into a sport until I get bored with it. Going through high school, I was a big traditional bow hunter, and that, that's still bred pretty deep in me. But I got into bird dogs directly after that, and that kind of conflicted. So. I kind of put the the stick and the string down, and stopped hunting deer, uh, and went went more after the dogs uh, or uh, the birds. So, and then I here I am commercially fl- tying flies and, and fishing. So a man's only got time for so many expensive hobbies, and you've got to start trimming them down. Absolutely. What was your uh, studies like growing up? Were you a good student? Or were you always daydreaming of fishing and hunting? Uh, yeah. So that's why I didn't I didn't play a lot of sports past my freshman year man because i didn't want to be in the gym all summer um kissing on a coach to get some playing time and come basketball season i'd rather be sitting in a tree stand 
So I, I, I'll say I was a mediocre student. I was really bored with high school. Actually, my last two years of high school, I, I did, did some part-time classes out here at the, at the local college. Uh, just because high school wasn't my scene, I, and I don't want to sound like I was above high school, but it's just it, it, it wasn't my it wasn't my gig. Did you go to school after high school to continue education? Yeah, so about a year after I graduated high school, I had an associate's degree in manufacturing. I was a, cert- a certified welder. Uh, I went to the University of Kentucky to s- study mechanical engineering. And that was a pretty good ride. That was like a year and a half, and I ran out of money. I came back, and I finished up here at the at the local college, uh, University of Rio Grande, which here in Appalachia we wanted to take Rio Grande, and and pronounce it our own way. So that's how it's spelled, and for some reason we call it Rio Grande. And I got a you know I got a bachelor of science degree in industrial technology. And I've been working, you know, with what paying the bills. I've been in a manufacturing plant ever since. That's a pretty cool skill to have. Well, you can fix things. I can build things. I, I fix things and I, analytically, I think about things. And, and you can, I use that every day in the commercial fly tying thing. Is, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that can tie pretty flies, but I'm the guy that breaks it down. I want to know as far as a costing structure, how much it costs and how much the material is and what's the yield and how much am I going to waste? And that's what I kind of bring to the table that I think a lot of guys that tie flies don't think of that. Growing up, you said your dad was your mentor. Did he get you into tying flies? No, he got me into, into fly fishing and fishing in general. My dad is a modern day, like Jeremiah Johnson. You know, he put himself through school working on the railroad and running trap lines. And he can, he's he's caught, killed, or done just about anything outdoors. And that's what he did. You know, growing up, he, he saved money to buy fishing plugs, uh, not records. He didn't care about music. He's, he's an outdoorsy dude, still is. He spends more time shooting shotguns and playing with bird dogs than he does fishing anymore. But, you know, he's, he's salt of the earth. If you got if you got to figure out how to survive, he's a pretty good, pretty good guy to have around, and he's he's pretty handy with some woodwork. That's fantastic. When did you start learning to tie flies? And were you using stuff that he was trapping and bringing home? Were you like, you no. know what, I could use that in a fly that he's got? No, he had, he pretty well laid the the trapping down because the fur had just essentially dropped out. It really wasn't wasn't frugal to trap anymore unless you just really enjoyed it. What got me tying flies when I was about, it would have been when I was in Kentucky. So I was 20, I've been about 15 years ago when I, when I just, for some reason, cause I liked, you know, like I said, I was a traditional bow hunter. I always like to do things like the hard way. And I guess I got a sense of satisfaction. And honestly, if you want to think about it, catching a fish on a fly rod is, is the most difficult way to catch that fish. And when I was 20, 21, I, I put the gear down. And I used to fish the Ohio River quite a bit with gear, fishing tournaments. And from 2021 on, I dude, I haven't picked up a baitcaster or a spinning rod since. And about two years into that, I started tying flies because I thought I'd save, it'd save me money, like every other idiot that starts doing it. And, you know, it's fun, but that, that, wasn't, that, didn't, that didn't happen. 
And even back then when I was learning, you know, I know a lot of guys and my brother's one of them. And, you know, there's a lot of people that I know that'll sit down and they'll tie one pattern, one fly, one pattern, and they'll switch it over and they'll tie something else. I've always been, I'm not going to tie any. If I sat down, I'm tying six. So I've always had that commercial mentality and it's always been in my mind, how fast can I tie a quality fly? Always from the start. What was the first patterns you started tying? Oh, like everybody, woolly boogers. Um, there was another pattern I fished a lot down in uh, Lexington, which is a mallard minnow, which is just, it, it's, a, it's a long shank streamer hook, a uh, cone or a bead head, and just two mallard flank with, a, with kind of a red center section and a couple pieces of fly shabu off the back. Is that a, a local fly? Pattern. Huh? Local pattern? I don't know whether it's local. Rob, because you know, I, they they were in the fly bins, and that's what that's what I caught a lot of smallmouth. There's a little creek down there around Georgetown, Kentucky, called Elkhorn Creek. I used to destroy smallmouth on uh, those and woolly boogers. That was essentially all I fished. Now the one guy who lives on that lake that fishes, you just blew up his spot. He's like, great. Now I'm gonna have a truck. Well, it's it's landlocked, landlocked with with private property. Okay, and I don't live there anymore. You don't care. There's probably more than one lake named that anyway. Well, it was, it was a it was a creek, and I think it's like eighty some miles long. Ooh. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I hole burn anybody because there's you got to kind of know where you're going to get around down there. All of a sudden, two cars show up, and the neighbors are like, "What's going on? It's getting crowded and then here." When they hear this podcast, it'll be like, "Is, is that guy Rob and Alice? This, they they hole dumped us, man." Mm-hmm. All right, so when you started tying, were muskies in your like f- frame of mind at the point that you were tying musky flies and you were chasing them, or had you not discovered them yet on the floor? So when I started tying, I hadn't really discovered them. It was it was more for the mountain streams in West Virginia, farm ponds, and just any of the other small streams that we have have around here. It wasn't until I'll say probably 10 years ago, there's some, there's some tributaries around where my, where my dad grew up and they, you know, him and my uncle always would tell me there's musky in there. And man, I'm telling you, the Creek is in some spots, you know, we're 50 miles from the Ohio river and it's just a small mud bank piled up logs. And I just didn't believe it. And finally, you start seeing enough videos and hearing of people catching muskie on fly rod. We started playing around with it. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. Um, my first muskie rod was an old Orvis Trident nine weight, had a floating line. I thought that a one X abrasion resistance uh, leader would do it, and I was fishing EP flies. And my first encounter was it was a fish that you know looking back was probably forty inches, Ooh. snapped me off. And ever since then, it's just been this this driving obsession with me. You can still close your eyes and, and picture that whole moment, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I know exactly where it was at. I mean, and that's the cool thing about musky, man. Just about every experience I've had with them, and I've had a bunch, I can I can go back and relive them all. It was like the first time Jerry Garcia shot heroin. Is when you saw your musky and you broke him off. I don't know there's quite that bad, but it's pretty bad. Yeah. And then, so, Rob, I, 
I'm blessed, and I say blessed, that I, I was never really into the YouTube video scene of learning how to tie patterns. And this was before social media got huge. So there was a few guys around Columbus, you know, some of the Mad River guys that were doing some musky stuff. Um, and I don't want to ever lay claim to pioneer in anything because I didn't. It was it was a collective group of of guys here locally that were fishing and developing essentially the pattern that I sell now. And it's nothing special. It's just several renditions of where we started from and and, and a pattern that, that's always worked for us. So, you know, I guess when I say a pattern, you know, a profile and a build that, that just has always worked for us. And that was one of the reasons I started tying them because commercially at the time, there was you, couldn't there. Buy, you couldn't buy a musky fly. How long was it from that first break off on one X before you landed your first muskie? Uh, I think it was, it was probably three weeks later. You must've been busy those three weeks, not sleeping much. No, I mean, yeah, we just had to, it was digging around and doing a little research and figuring out what other guys were doing. Like I'd never heard of like a heavy shock, hard mono leader. Why would you, why, why would I ever need that? I fished for bass and trout, you know, 60 pound test stuff like that. And then once I, once we started and there, it still took two or three years for us to understand the rigs we were using and why we were using them and un- try to understand the fish. And I still don't think you ever figure them out. What is it about musky that makes you get out of bed every day? It's the, it's, it's the 30 seconds, man. It's, it's the most amazing 30 seconds of your life. They don't fight all that hard. I mean, really, depending on the water temperature, you can get them in, in, in that, in the rising water temperature, that 60 degree range. They'll do some tail walking and they'll dive a little bit. It's the 30 seconds. It's, it's the eat. It's that aggression. And the fact that when they come in at your feet, if you're on the bank, or right at the boat, they don't care. They are laser focused. Crosshairs are on that on that fly, and then it's all up to you what you're going to do with it to try to get them to eat. It's like that dog in the Christmas uh, Christmas vacation. That big dog chasing 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 the squirrel. I had no yeah. idea. No, like it doesn't care a- that there's tables and people in the way. Nope. It's only focused on kill. I've had I've had you know a 35 inch fish come across my toes on a figure eight because I didn't have any room and literally half the fish was out of the water because it was that hot. Someone was just asking me about the figure eight the other day and I was like, it's never had the occurrence. What does that just keep them entertained when you've got no space left to go? Yeah. So you're, you're, you're out of retrieve and the fish is on it. You're just extending your retrieve. And you're also, you know, and you you listen to enough podcasts and you watch enough people because there's a lot of guys, you know, that have been doing it and, and that, that likely have more uh, scientific ways to explain it than I do. It's just extending your retrieve and you're putting that dying bait fish squirming around. And I don't necessarily always use a figure eight. Sometimes it's a modified. You're just, you're giving that fish a chance Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. 
If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com To capitalize its its predatory, its apex predator nature. And what that fish is going to do, it's going to follow that bait fish until it goes to kick sideways or change directions or change speeds for it to attack. And their teeth, when they bite, are they, if they're breaking leaders, is that because the, the texture of their teeth, the point of the teeth, or just the size of the fish? Uh, well, the, the fish I referred to, that first one I broke off, I mean, that was just the size of the fish. Um, I, personally, I've never broke one off, and I use a combo of steel, titanium, and sometimes uh, just just shock tippet, uh, depending on where I'm fishing. The small fish usually have the big teeth, the, the, the razor sharp teeth, in my experience. It's been a um, long time since I've seen one of their mouths either stuffed or pickled. Not pickled to eat though, like pickled for laboratory. How do people? Would people eat pickled musky? I, I people say they're really good to eat. I I wouldn't know, but and do you spell it M U S K I E or M U S K Y? I get lazy. I do the I do the Y. I mean the the correct the correct spelling is I E. I think that's the way I do it. Have you ever seen one barf up its contents of its stomach or ever seen like a, you know, one of them dies and you guys just get curious to see what's in there? No, I've never seen that. I've seen, I've seen them. So if you, if you can fish when the water's clear enough and you can see a big spool of like suckers when you're drifting down, you just got to wait because one's coming. Usually if you can see a bit, you see a big school of suckers in the, in the, in the winter or the fall, it, there'll, there'll be a fish following them very very shortly i've seen a few of them do headstands on bait fish um almost look like a tailing carp uh, i've seen some wild stuff i've seen them spawn that's one of the coolest experiences that i've ever had to watch you know 48 inch female and a 32 inch male you know just do do what nature wants them to do 20 feet away from me can't say i've ever seen that i just don't have muskies around where i there's a lake down the street but i haven't dedicated the time to go learn it so yeah i've never seen anything like that and that's what's kind of cool i mean gee where we're located is not really known as musky country and and i don't i don't know that it is in comparison to you know our northern counterparts there's a lot of wild naturally reproductive fish in in the ohio river tributaries so you said um, you were 50 miles up river and are they native to the Ohio river? And then they just swim up all these tribs and they become residents. The, the location I was talking about, uh, there are some resident fish and then, then they migrate, um, all the way up through there. And I don't, I don't know that you're coming all the way from the Ohio. Um, so that, that stream I'm talking about is a fourth tier tributary to the Ohio. So you got a long ways to go, but, it's amazing, man. Like, you know, they'll catch uh, American shad all the way at the top of the Delaware. It's amazing how far fish will go when they're moving. It's wild. And how all of a sudden, you know, like one spot, it, it's kind of like steelhead. 
you know, it'll be essentially, you know, you'll get a stream that's dead or you don't see anything. Then all of a sudden when they come in to do their work, there's fish everywhere. That's like carp spawning. You go to place time after time and nothing. Then that one day you go there and it's getting it on. So let's talk about those waters. The pictures you were showing at the Virginia show, we went over them. They were some pretty narrow bodies of water. Yeah, I got to, and I guess for our conversation, uh, I'll, I'll keep it to, to locally, what I'll call the home waters. And it's, it, and it's the Ohio Canal River Basin and all the tributaries. And when I say that, that doesn't sound like much, but for instance, Raccoon Creek, which is in my backyard, is, you know, 99 miles long and it's got two branches. And that's just one trip. Um, and it's got several fe- feeder streams to it that, that, that fish. And not necessarily for muskie, but for bass and carp and for, for everything else. Any low-head dams on that or is it all free-flowing? There is, uh, let me think. Yeah, so Raccoon's got one old low-head low dam. And other than that, it's when we say free flowing, that's one thing in my area. Everything's pretty low gradient. So that's not necessarily a good thing because when it rains and everything gets up, it stays up and doesn't clean out real quick. And these bodies of water, what are you looking for? What's uh, what's a muskie going to like? So the particular speed of water, depth, temperature. When you were first looking for these fish... What were you narrowing down as their habitat? Yo, well, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna target them the same way you would, you know, a brown trout or a smallmouth. They're they're predators, and in these small smaller streams, which are they're just easier to isolate in these small streams because when you get to a big pool of water with with depth and volume, and then put a little structure to that, it gives them hiding places, and it gives them it gives them a multitude of gradient for different water temperatures just because of the depth. And that's what you're doing. You're just, you're, you're, you're hole hopping. Um, so I'm looking constantly for undercut banks. Timber is primarily what I cast to. And on, on occasions you, you'll get a riprap or a rock bank. And the, you know, you fish them all. That's you can't, you can never fit. I've never been able to pattern these fish enough to be able to say, yeah, don't cast over there other than it's six inches of water and you can physically look over there and can't see them. If, if, if they're holed up under a log doing their, their hunt, all you got to do is continue to, to, to present a fly to get their attention. How many flies would you swing or strip or I guess you could explain it. How many presentations will you give in a spot before you would move on? So if I'm if I'm dissecting, um, for instance, a log jam that is 90 degrees for me, I'm going to make sure that there's if there's a fish underneath it looking forward that they've got the opportunity to see it before I leave. And sometimes that's one cast, sometimes that's five casts, sometimes it's 15 casts. And 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 the telltale is is if you're in a boat, which is ideal is if you can draw them out and get them into the figure eight. Cause a lot of times, you know, if, if you don't put them in a figure eight, they're not there. So if you, if, if they haven't followed out from underneath that structure, then they're not there and they're maybe on the backside. So it, that that's a hard question and it's very situational. 
so um i worked one down sycamore there, there's probably there was a picture hanging up i think in the booth where i was in a kayak i was anchored up and i'd probably made 15 casts before that fish finally came up and t-boned that fly so sometimes they're really aggressive and sometimes they're not and sometimes you almost got to and that's where the fly design comes into it. You, you, you they got to feel it, they got to see it, they got to want it, and they got to eat it. Do you find a difference between, I guess, a regular musky and hybrid musky? I've never caught a hybrid, so you're all wild reproducing. Uh, all these are wild uh, native strain musky, streamborn. That's fantastic. What's the biggest one you've caught? Uh, the biggest one I caught, and I didn't physically put a tape on it i did lay the rod down to get a measurement because i knew it was my personal best and i was by myself and the best i can get is 46 to 48 what about the smallest uh probably 28 you know once they get up once they get under 30 you know 35 i just i don't measure them they're just small you ever get just a total freak show that's like bet in half or missing we had one Levi and I have caught one-eyed Willie three times. It's a one-eyed fish. You getting him on his blind side or his good side? Well, I mean, he's dumb, so I probably. I mean, he will come. He he came and, and knocked a fly out of the water, and I, there's a video of that somewhere out on social media. But he's just massively aggressive, and and like I said, we've caught him three times. Maybe when you got a disability like that, you know, his one eye's down, so his other senses are more prevalent. He's hungry. I know that. Yeah. Cool. So let's go into your flies now. Well, well, let's talk about, do you want to talk gear first or so I want to spend some time on the flies. What do you want to get into first? What's a good, so are we, are, are, are we going to stay primarily on the musky side? Yeah. Is that where you want to go? Oh, that's, buddy, I can go wherever you want. Yeah. Let's, we, we've never had a musky talk before. We'll talk right about on. other stuff later. Okay. All right. So rods and gear or your fly, where do you want to go? Uh, we could go with gear. All right. So what do you, th- right, what are you throwing for these fish? So 10 weight minimum. I don't go bigger than 11. So 10, 11 weight fish inter- intermediate lines. I fish full sinking, usually six to eight inches per second. I don't, I immediately I'll, I'll spend a hundred dollars on a line and I'll cut the welded loop off of it. First thing. What's your nail method? To, so you nail knot. Do you use monofilament? I'll use a, what Rio makes, what they call the heavy shock. And I'll use probably a 14-inch section of that in 30 or 40 pound, which is kind of useless because when you get hung up and you finally got to break it off, you're going you're gonna to slip the nail knot anyway. So you, you could use whatever you wanted. 40 is usually a, a, a pretty good mid mid-range. And then from that, if I'm if I'm wade fishing, this sounds terrible. I'll fish eighty pound heavy shock. That's what so, Mad River Outfitters sold me. I'm like, uh, I don't know how to tie a knot with this. It's good stuff, man. And yeah, you better wear gloves because you're going to cut yourself. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I just stared at it and was like, oh, I have this now, and I I don't think I ever used it. I yeah, you got to do. So so I tie them in blood knots or. I, I use a lot of the, the store-bought 18-inch titanium 75-pound snap swivel leaders if I'm in the boat. 
And the only problem with, the, with, with those leaders is it does take a little of the action away from the flock. But on the same token, I kind of like how it works the fly and drags it down before the sink tip catches up to it. And they're not biting through that. No. And the boat, is it just a different angle that you're pulling them in that you want to use that versus, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody really fishing for muskie on foot. I mean, I've tried to do it in Ohio. It's rough, that man. too often. Most of the streams are are pretty steep mud bank they're hard to get to i'm fortunate that that i have for the past several years and it's actually distant relation to me i've got a pretty sweet private access to a place and and it's been a blessing um i i can get there after work and i can watch the fish spawn i can watch them push up i can fish for them a little bit before i never mess with them while they're actively spawning but it, it's a pretty easy wade as far as wade fishing for muskie goes. It's still not, it's not a cakewalk. It's not easy. There's a lot of down timber and there's a lot of lost flies. I've, I've put a lot of Gamagatsu hooks uh, on that, on that Creek bank and never got them back. What gear, you don't have to name names has not worked for you. Anything that's just completely blown up or failed in your attempts to master muskie. I won't. I won't say failed. There's stuff that I don't like. So the one thing about musky fishing is, is like from a real standpoint, you can use anything. It doesn't matter because I mean they're, they may you may I always put fish on a reel just because they're easier to manage, but I mean they're not going they're not going to spool you out to the backing. So you don't need like a massive drag, and the rod is what it is. Uh, you know, two hundred dollar rod, a seven hundred dollar rod. The only thing that, from a terminal gear, I don't like. I don't like the knotable wire, and I know a lot of guys love it, but it's it's just not for me. I just I don't like it. But no, I've I've never had any terminal gear that I could say, yeah, I'll never use this. Okay. But one tool that you know, and this gets controversial too with the musky guys. I fish a lot alone. And I use a boga grip, and there's a lot of people that, that hate hard on a boga grip. And for me, uh, I think it's like any tool. If, if you use it correctly, you won't hurt the fish, and you'll actually help the fish. Uh, but a lot of guys don't, and, and, and I can see the damage. If you don't pick the fish up and let, let the boga support all its weight, yeah, that's bad for them. I use them because I'm by myself, and it gives me a way to control the fish, keep it in the water, get it unhooked. Um, for instance, that personal best that I caught, if it wasn't for that boga grip, and Lord knows what would have happened with that fish, me trying to get it. Because, I, you know, you can't carry a big net with you on these small streams. But, yeah, I was able to keep the fish in the water, pop the hook, take a couple pictures of it. And I got that, that, that fish actually was on video. It's on my YouTube channel, which I haven't really updated in a couple of years. But boga grips, in my mind, one of the, if a guy's going to do it solo, uh, and by all means, they could get a hold of me if they got any questions. But it's it's a good tool; it's worth the investment. I've got the generic ones, and they're kind of garbage. You get what you pay for. It's true. Yeah, man. All right. So before we move on to what else you do, we're gonna finish up with musky. What is what's it about your musky flies that sets them apart from other musky flies? 
And if you want, can you break down like the steps and what goes into it? Like if you're close your eyes and describe how you tie it and what goes into it, that makes it so unique to what you've developed over the years. Well, if I did that, Rob, I wouldn't sell on me. We can bleep it out. No, man. So, uh, my, my flight, there's, this is what, what I've learned over the last several years. And I'm friends with a lot of these guys now. There's so many really, really, really talented tires generally in the commercial game that are doing this out of their basements. And some of them are doing it full time. And I, I will openly admit, cause I, cause I'm humble enough. There's a lot of them that are better than me. My pattern and the, the reason that, that it is what it is today is 23 pretty phenomenal colors for us in our experience that are just, they're bulletproof. They, they shed water and that's how I designed them. That's how I tie them. And the guys that tie them for me now, they've been trained the same way. I've taught them exactly how, how I started tying the first one that I sold. And there's, there's a few techniques in between the turns of bucktail that I think make a difference. Uh, do they? I, I don't know. They're nothing special and they're nothing that I would, you know, I'm not going to get upset if somebody else starts selling them tomorrow and calling them something else. Cause they are a few turns of bucktail, uh, some synthetic fiber as a, as a tailing material and flash and a flyman, uh, fish skull on the front of them. Uh, it's what's in between that I think makes them special and makes them river tactical flies and, and the finish work on the heads, every single fly that I ship out, I have touched and I've painted and I finish whether I physically tied the fly or not. What are you looking for in good bucktail? Oh, bucktail. Bucktail is the musky tires crack. There's, there's so many variables to bucktail. And I think that really a tire that can, that can handle different material qualities and still make a, make a quality fly. I think it is really what makes someone stand out. Strand length is usually strand length and consistency and how it's going to flare. Those are the three keys. And I, I used to grade them all. When I, when I get an order of bucktail in, I grade them and it was a one through five, five being the best. And it, and, and it, you know, five was the, the creme of the creme. And that was a low percentage, 20%. You get some fried ones, the real frizzy looking bucktail. And those are really good for clousers and stuff. They just don't they don't flare real well for for a hollow tie type type musky fly. So you do buy some sight unseen and then you grade them afterward? Oh, hundred percent. I mean for the volume that we do, there's no way that there's no way that I could go handpick these. How many tails are you going through? Uh, I'm sitting here looking at my bucktail rack that I need to order and I untouched i probably got a hundred bucktails that i haven't even opened a package on and probably twice that that i've cut into and for this year coming up because that's diminished i'll probably need i'll order 400 bucktails now someone that's never been your place before would they walk in and be like y'all smell something kind of meaty what is that no no they're all pretty cure when i used to get them from spirit river which man i wish they were I wish they were still in business. I love buying, buying bucktail from them. There's some of them were a little ripe. I'm not going to lie. You'd have to let them dry out. 
Um, but they were they were good. That was good quality stuff. Right. And I can't complain too much. Like I get most of mine from Hairline, and usually for for the muskies for the musky side of the game, it's about sixty percent yield. So you know, if if I order a hundred tails from musky, I'll get sixty of them that that'll make the cut, and the rest of them. I'll give to people. I got I got a box, you know, that's underneath my bench that's probably got another 150 bucktail in them that are just rejects. Those are your clousers. Those are, you know, for anything else you may want to use something small. How long did it take you before you figured out what you liked in bucktail? Uh, you taught you tie five or six hundred of them, and you start realizing, and and that's what I was kind of going at before with being able to adapt to the materials that's the hardest part if you get one really good bucktail you can just rip through flies it's getting one and then happened midway through an order or midway through a fly have to switch to a different consistency and being able because because it takes all of them are usable but they take a little different technique to make them do what you need to do how big are your flies for the muskies so we have three different sizes. The eight aught, which is the longest, is twelve inches. Six aught, ten inches, and four aught is eight inches. And we also, I just launched uh, what I call the glitter gut, which is a pattern that I've been tying for about five years. And Bronson, one of my tires, says, "Man, you you got you got to you got to put these out." I call him. Bottom. I call him B squared. B squared, but. That's another. That's 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 my bridge pattern, man. That's the trout, bass, musky crossover. But yeah, three sizes in the in the commercially available musky flies that you can find in shops and on the website. How relieving was it to figure out? You know, I really only need one actual pattern and just vary the colors and tones in it, and it will be the only one I need. It. <clears throat> When were you confident enough? You're like, you know what? I don't need all the other stuff. I can just go. And you know what's even, even even worse, Rob, is when I actually go fish. Like I'll bring all these flies. I'm gonna throw three of them. I'll throw three flies all day. I, I don't change that much. It's 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 pretty cool. In the confidence of, all right, I think I've got it. I'm confident in the fly. I put enough fish, you know, on the bank. Um, the guys that helped me develop it are fishy dudes. And when, when I say develop it, that's that's kind of that's kind of a weak way to describe it. It's just, you know, as a fly tire, when you when you tie a fly after you've done it enough, you know that it's fishy, right? Now, once you go put it in the water, and if it doesn't swim, that's a different story. But once you put it in water, you're like, okay, it does what I want it to do. It'll catch a fish. Outside of that, it's it, it's more. It's, there's no science to it. It's just personal opinion. And when was your opinion solidified? Was there like a, at some point you just had a eureka moment? Yeah, I think, and, and I had early on in my in my musky fly fishing, it was it was what I'll call the uh, the fast track. I think I went like twelve for twelve or something like that. I went from, you know, not knowing what I was doing, catching my first fish, finally figuring it out, buying a real musky rod, and then working on this pattern. And by the time all this happened, when I was fishing the original forcing cones, I think I went 10 for 10. 
like I'm like, well, okay, here we go. And there was a push from my family and some people pretty close to me because they saw it too. Um, for instance, Mad River, which is a great fly shop. Uh, Brian and those guys, Brian and Pat and those guys do a great job. Pat ties a mean musky fly, but go in there and try to buy one. There's none hanging. And at the time, there wasn't any really good online options. So I said, I've got, I've got the solution. And I was confident in it. And then the flies that I've sent all across the country to catch pike and muskie, I've yet to get a bad review. I've got several guys that have caught 12 toothy critters on them on one fly and they're still fishing it. It's pretty damn good. So I, you know, I, the proof's in the pudding. And after about two years of trying to do this and being in the industry, and again, that's a horrible, dirty word for, for a sport that we love. That's the confidence builder, man. You get an email from somebody says, listen, I went to, you know, I went to Quebec or wherever they went. I caught three musky and, and, and nine pike on one of your flies. I got it framed because I tried to buy it from him. I'm like, let me buy that back. That, that, I mean, that, that's, that's confidence in itself. Do you ever catch non-targeted fish on these? I've snagged a gar that I thought was a 50-inch muskie once, and Levi's caught a couple pretty nice bass, and he caught a really he caught like a 22-inch uh, walleye this last year for his birthday. We floated, but no, I've never personally caught anything other than than a muskie. I've had I've had bass follow him up. Do you a ever have guys, a lot of guys catch walleye and smallmouth? When you're out guiding, do you ever have musky chase fish you've caught, or is it different waters? Well, so I just started the guiding thing this year, so I've never I've never physically guided anybody musky fishing yet. What are your guys' guided trips like? Uh, right now, I've got I think five different options. One of them is a musky float. They're just uh, they're just down home. They're just floats that I'm thinking if somebody was coming in town, which nobody will ever come to Gallup Police, Ohio, but if anybody <laughs> was coming through and wanted to go spend some time with a dude to spend a lot of time on the water, you know, we can go out on the river. We can we can chase tailing carp because that's that's kind of my gig. Bass for a couple hours in the morning, then this sun gets up. Let's go hit the tailors. To I, I got a really nice creek float option for bass. So there's no famous site in your town that someone's going to come visit, like the world's largest yogurt cup with the sprinkle parade going on. We are the home to the moth, man. There you go. Oh, there is a. So I had it. That was for me. That was a boy meets world reference. But you're the Mothman home. Well, across the river, Point Pleasant is. I saw part of that movie. That's Richard. Yeah, the Gere. movie's not that great. All, all the stories from from the uh, from the acid trip people are the funny ones. All right. Well, we got the Bunny Man out here. He'll chop you up. No, but I mean, so the reason the reason that I offer to guide trips is I do all these shows and people are always asking, do I guide, do I guide, do I guide? And I was always like, no. And I'm still kind of like, no. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. 
And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. But if, if it comes along, you're not going to pass it up because I'm not going to pass it up. And it's I'm a fun day. A good experience. We're nestled along the Ohio River. There's a lot of history here. Um, if somebody wants to make a family trip of it, I can I can set you up with an itinerary to, to send your your family shopping in the morning. We'll go chase fish. You go have lunch with them, and then in the afternoon we'll go back out. What's your local um, cuisine? You got something cuisine. that no one else has? Yeah, so we got a really cool place, and 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 I promote it very heavily, and it's really the only place that my wife and I will go eat. Um, it's a Colony Club. It's an old historic movie theater that the owners David and Karen bought and restored, and it's a it's a cool little bar. Um, they've got fresh, locally sourced food. Really good bourbon, really good craft beer if that's your gig. Really oh, good is. local wine. And you can sit and watch old 50s movies playing on the big screen. That's pretty it's cool. It's just a really cool atmosphere. I wish we had something like that in my neighborhood. Everything's a chain almost. Yeah, there's not. There, there's there's literally, from a restaurant standpoint, there's Buffalo Wild Wings up on the north side of town, and that's about it. Everything else is local. There's a pretty cool Indian joint. Um, there's a, there's a nice sports bar. It gets a little rowdy late, but it, it's, it's, it's got some good eats. Uh, and like I said, there's a lot of history. You're, someone's going to call you up. That's fine. I'd All love right. to take them out. That's right. So what other flies are you tying when you're not tying up musky flies? So we, we expanded our, our line. We do a little bit of everything. Like I'm sitting here, I'm looking at a half order of, uh, Royal Wolfs that we just did. So there's two dozen Royal Wolves in front of me, and the rest of them are on their way. We do everything. Um, I do a lot of stuff that I'm going to fish here on the river or here locally. And a lot of crossover poppers, streamers that will work on, you, you know, your local trout stream or your smallmouth stream. Because effectively, Rob, they're, they're all eating about the same stuff. You know, uh, an angry brown trout and an ang angry smallmouth from a streamer perspective is not going to, they're not going to differentiate. And then I've got a full line of, of what I'll call staple trout flies made in the USA by really fishy dudes. Do you have a pattern that's one of your favorites to tie versus someone orders one and you're like, eh, I'm not in the mood for that. That's going to be complicated. Yeah. So I just, I actually just turned an order down. Um, cause sometimes that happens, unfortunately, you know, I'll get a, I'll get a request for something. And by the time I'd have to order materials in and do it all, it's just, it's just too complicated. It's, it's easier to send it to somebody else. Um, I send a lot of work to, uh, Tony Sandroni, nightmare musky flies for anybody that wants game changers, just cause he's the guy. If you want a game changer, go to him. I like the crawl spaces. That's, that's, I don't even know if I can call it my own pattern. It kind of is. There, I'm sure there's somebody that's tying one that's that's it's a monkey butt changer or some something. I don't know. That's why I don't stay up with with what's going on in the commercial tying field and and the names of them. Um, and it's got me in trouble before because you know I just I don't know that somebody else has already come up with that. But the crawl space is kind of one of my go to patterns. Yeah, some flies are like songs on a guitar. Our ingredients are the chords. At some point, you're going to come up with the same thing. And that's right. And 
you got like you know, Darwin you and Wallace and you've got that Led Zeppelin and then that band that they say they stole Stairway to Heaven from, but they never met. So who knows? Yeah. yeah I, I, like any modern streamer, any any modern streamer that you buy in a shop or somebody's commercially tying. There's some bro behind it. Dude, well, well, you, it honestly, you just look back at a Zonker, look back at a Wooly Booger, and then just about anything Kelly Gallup has developed. And, and there you go. That That is the modern streamer game. And it's some variation of that. Yeah. I, I use Russ Madden's Circus Peanut, and then I just kind of add stuff to it here and there as I need it. That's right. a fantastic fly. Right. And then so it, it, what line is it no longer the Circus Peanut? Yeah, I call it the Potomac Peanut, and then I have him on my website and on my store named as the origin of the pattern. And then I basically just explained how I added stuff on it to make it a little bit my own. Yeah, it's and like, like for- someone, someone, and a specific person came up with the Reuben sandwich. But you can have a Reuben that's got something else on it. You can just call it like a bacon Reuben. Right. And so we sell a pattern, and to my knowledge, we're the only, we're the only commercial fly tying company that's technically allowed to sell it. Name this is the Joe Lewis only, and it is in no way like. Joe Lewis's original only. It is it is a fly that we call the only that's similar to it. Uh it's been changed for us. And I got a little there was a little controversy over it when, when we first launched it, but you know, I was fishing a pattern for smallmouth very similar to this before the article really came out. I think it was 2012 was the article. Uh, it was it was a rubber legged woolly booger, and there's not a whole lot of difference in them. But whatever, I mean, but we, we sell that. That's one of our most effective and hottest selling trout flies. Can you describe and it? Since we can't see it here, you can't see it. You can see it on the website. It's uh, imagine a, a really thin body woolly booger tapered up with a wing casing and two long or four long legs, lots of wire. So it looks kind of like it's it looks kind of like a big mayfly or a big stonefly, uh, but it's 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 a hybrid. You can dead drift it, you can twitch it, you can you can you can swing it, and uh, we've got fish on it always. And I got a carp fly that's almost identical to it. It's just got dumbbell eyes, ride and hook up. Are there any fly materials that you prefer to tie with over others? Man, I love bunny. Bunny and deer hair. Yep. What about materials you don't like? One of the guys in my fishing club sent me a huge article about CDC today. And I'm like, man, I'm tempted to start tying with that, but that's going to lead me down some, some rabbit holes. Yeah, you get in CD. Yeah, I, I do enjoy tying. Uh, I got, I got, a, and I'm, again, I'm sure there's, there's some pattern that it, that I, that I poached this off of. I do a pretty sweet little small mayfly with CDC. I, I, I like CDC material that I hate. I'm not a big fan of, of nat- natural peacock only cause it breaks. That's about it. I'm sitting here looking at my materials of what I hate. 
that's about it. I mean, if I'm doing a streamer and I'm doing like a complex twist or I'm blending stuff, I don't like anything that's got a core that's too bulky. Uh, and, and I, I, and I run into that a lot trying to develop new stuff is, you know, the material, the, the blend looks really good, but then when you physically go to lay it on the hook, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And you still have it though, even though you don't like it. Yeah, it just doesn't lay right. All right. What about the? What are you using a tie on? What's your vice of preference? So I'd use a, a Wolf Industries Apex and Atlas. Any Made other in, USA oh. in Indiana? Any other special tools and gear you like to tie with? Oh, yeah, I've got a multitude of bobbins. Uh, I just. You know, I don't sell anything. I, you know, I'm a certified loon dealer. I don't sell anything that I don't use. And that new loon ergo bobbin, it's pretty slick. I'm not gonna lie. And the loon gator grips uh, for for dubbing loops, they're legit. Hundred percent on. Uh, for the most part, I'm doing gamagatsu hooks on almost everything I'm doing. The loon ergo deer deer hair scissors. I usually go through a pair of hair scissors uh, about every eight months. I'm on a year, and they're still they're still cutting clean. So, Loon's got a lot of really good products, and I'm really proud to carry them on the website. But other than that, no man, I'm just I'm an innovator. I'm down here using stuff that you probably would never think to tie flies with, and I'm trying to slowly work that into my my business plan. Um. You know, I'm an engineer by trade, so I'm trying to develop things that, that I've used every day that I know that everybody else isn't using and try to work with some of the, the people of the industry to get them out to the masses and, you know, help everybody out and maybe get a little passive income. And so I got a couple irons in the fire there. I can dig that. You got to stay busy what we're doing. Anything else I didn't ask you about? The guiding, the, you know, the, the, your team, you want to talk about the guys besides B-Square and your facially hair-gifted brother? Man, he does, have an, he does have an epic, epic beard, doesn't he? He looks like he's from the 1800s. You put a monocle on him? You would, you know what? You would have never thought that either before Before he he just let that rip. I'd have never saw, I never saw that coming. But, you know, God bless him. Yeah, so let me talk about my crew real quick because – there's a couple couple levels, so I've got I've got my core group and and my brother's my right hand man Levi King, he's he's my bump board. He's the guy that I that I bounce just about all my business ideas off of at some point. Um, B squared is another guy. He's one of the few people that still really likes to talk on the phone, and I I dig it too. Usually once or so a week, we're talk we're, we'll talk for an hour or so, just about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, so he ties a lot of my, uh, a lot of the trout stuff, young gun, Seth Harmon, uh, young guy, super talented angler and tire ties a lot, of, ties a lot of musky stuff and ties a lot of the, a lot of the streamers, Luke Arthur from Charleston. And so we're starting to branch off cause, cause quite honestly, Rob, you know, those are my core group of dudes. And there's a lot of talent out there. And, and for what I'm doing in my business, I, there's a lot of people out there that are really good at tying flies. I like to think I'm really good at selling them. 
So let me be the middleman. Um, Luke Arthur, Charleston, West Virginia, local guy, a real fishy dude. Uh, he's going to start picking up some musky volume and he does. So I sell a really cool, uh, green drake spinner called the uh it's kind of like a you know a coffin fly called the vanilla volcano arthur's vanilla volcano he came up with it super killer pattern um and he ties some other stuff does some custom work and all the guys i just named if you if you hit me with a custom order there's a chance they're gonna touch your flies your brother looks like the dude who'd be behind a a soda fountain back in the day serving in arthur's vanilla volcano Right on. Yeah. Good luck. But it'd be like ice cream that. or something. Right. Float. Root beer float. There you go. But anyway, and, and, and I got a few things in the works and I, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to announce yet, but I got another uh, up and coming star that I think I'm going to pick up and I'm going to get a few patterns off of him. Um, and then I got another deal that I'm trying to work, but you know, my main goal is to, to offer competitively priced flies made in the United States by really fishy guys, you know, for whatever, whatever your, your need is. Um, because what I found in this industry, there's a lot of really good guys that are, that are good at fishing and they're good at tying flies. They're not necessarily good at running the business. And unfortunately I think I found that I'm decent at running the business. Um, so when, the, when it was the Ellis King show and I was ripping the full volume, I was about to go insane. And and I've really come leaps and bounds from from a business and personal perspective when, when I let these guys come in and start tying some flies for me. And I put my name behind all of them. The executive. Ellis, the executive. Dude, I got a fly called the executive. It was it was developed during an executive meeting back in the day. You guys must have fun business meetings. Oh, we have we have a good time. I can imagine. Where can we find all those things online? Where can we find your guys? Buy your flies, social media. Yeah, so the website rivertacticalflies.com. Uh, it's a work in progress constantly. I'm on there every week. Uh, we're running a pretty cool sale on some loon stuff and all our apparel. Um, Facebook, River Tactical Flies. Get on there, like us, follow us. Uh, Instagram, at River Tactical Flies. Like us, follow us. And w- one thing I'll say, and, it, and it's not just for us, it's for if, if anybody that's listening to this knows somebody that's running a small business that does social media advertisement, get on there and like when they post something on, for instance, Facebook, get on there and engage in it, say something rather than just like it and move on or share it and move on. That's those adorable little emojis down there that you can, that you can do get some interactions. Cause there's a lot of algorithms that Facebook uses that will restrict or release that post based on that. So help all your friends out and help me out if you'd like. Um, but it's just a little PSA. We'll get those numbers up. All right, I got some more questions for you. You ready? I'm ready. You related to anyone famous? Uh, yes. The Mothman? No. Can you say? I can. So my grandfather 
Charles Hammer is an All-American in Ohio State. 19, uh, I want to say 47. Died many years ago. I mean, I, I never met him. Um, and then his would have been father and uncle. Um, so his father was Ellis Hamrick, which I'm named after. And he posed for the statue at the state capital of West Virginia as the West Virginia Mountaineer. No way. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I feel like that's about all the fame that I got. Outside of that, there's probably some felons and some <laughs> stuff that I shouldn't say on, on the airways. But that's about as deep as my fame pool goes. All right. What's and my your... brother and his, and his epic-ass beard. What album gets the most rotation? Album. Music album. Music? Yeah. What do you listen to like the my... most? Whoa. Favorite album? That, that's digging deep. If you're uh, on a deserted island and you got one CD... Uh, probably Black Crow's Southern Music Company. That's an oldie, but good one. My that's wife still thinks that they are the ones that wrote um, their first. Their first single was a cover, and my wife still thinks it's theirs. And then it'll come on a dead song with Pigpen from like '70 here, and she's like, "But I thought the Black Crows came up with that." Hard to handle. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, and they also not. they they also covered Marley. Time will tell. I don't know that version of theirs. If you had only one deli meat to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Dude, you're going to give me one? Probably turkey. I'm a turkey dude. If you had a superhero power to make you a better angler, what would you choose? Stop time. I, I like to have more time. Could, is, it, is that a super? Yeah, that's a super. Hell with it. It's, I'm the superhero. I can do whatever I want. There you go. Favorite heart. Uh, Favorite Harrison Ford movie? Indiana Jones. If you had one species of bird to tie with for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I'm guessing pheasant. it's not peacock. It's pheasant. pheasant. Do you have any unusual fly tie materials? That I can talk about? No. Okay, we'll keep the police out of there. Do you have any ridiculously irrational phobias? Yeah, well... Yeah, I'm a neat freak. I'm kind of an OCD can control freak. Um, so, like, my shop goes from a complete disaster to back to order to complete disaster. So my phobia is that everything backs up down here and I can't find anything. If What's, that could be a phobia, I'm really not scared of a whole lot. Are you terrified of anything that's not a phobia? No. What's your favorite candy bar? Snickers. When posing with a rod on your shoulder, is that okay or not? <laughs> let, me, let me rephrase that. When is posing uh, with a rod on your shoulder okay? Never, but I got a funny story about that. Do it. So a while back, I mean, when I say a while back, this is probably five years ago, you know, back when, when I was trying to be cool because, you know, to sell flies, you got to be cool, right? Pro staff. I caught a muskie on this creek, and I, I you know, I GoPro'd it. I went and set the GoPro up on the bank, and I had him in the net. It wasn't a very big fish. And I had to rod up on my shoulder, and I was trying to hold the fish up. And the fish flopped and jumped over my head, and I almost fell. The rod went in the mud. The fish fell back in the net. 
and I got all of it on video, and none of you will ever see it because it is locked deep in the archives. But occasionally, once I've had too many Miller highlights here in the basement, I will pull that up and I will watch it just to laugh at myself. That's good times. You have a that's pers- karma for me. Not that's karma for never wanting to put a rod on your shoulder ever. Do you have a personalized fishing plate? No. What would ruin a day on the water for you? Oh, I don't know that you could ruin a day on the water for me. Uh, to get completely drenched and not have, and it's just that uncomfortable cold, you know, like to fall out of a boat and it's 40 degrees and just, just past the point of, of hypothermia, but where you're probably going to try to ride it out. That'd probably ruin the day pretty quick. Oddly enough, I've seen someone poop in their waders. I have that. I've seen that as well. And it didn't bother him. And I think that was just his personality. Didn't bother this person either until later. When it got cold. No. When he realized what had all happened when it got hot. Oh. Yeah, it was. Like, ice, like an ice cream cone? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. If you had access to a DeLorean with a flux capacitor, it could travel to a pre-human destroyed environment to go fishing, what would you choose? What year? Any any time in history. If you could go back in time before modern humans in the last several hundred years ruined it all. Yep. Where would you go? I'd like to go I'd like to go to the Monongahela National Forest before before any of the timber. Before all the, the timber. old growth. Yeah. I'd like I'd like to see what, what a lot of the, the rape streams like Shaver's Fork where they blasted it. I'd like to see what it looked like. When it was full of brook trout, you know, and because you because you look at some of those pictures of some of those massive fish that they pulled out of there at the turn of the century, I'd like to, I'd like to go back there with no pressure, see what that's all about. What gear would you fish if you had that choice? Fly rod. No, I mean like like bam, would, you, would you like bamboo? Well, no, fly? I mean no. If I if I got the choice, I'm not going to use bamboo. But dry fly. I mean, there's there's. There's nothing sexier than catching a trout on a dry fly. I don't care. And I've, you know, I'm in the streamer game. I sell a lot of streamers. There's nothing sexier than a well-placed dry fly cast and a fish coming up to take it. And I'm the muskie guy, right? Absolutely. Has anyone ever caught a muskie on top water that's not on purpose? Like a popping bug, maybe? Are there top water muskies? I guess there's rats. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've got some poppers. Ducks. Uh, I've caught, I, I caught one skimming across the top. And, and I, I guess I've, I've probably caught two or three that way, ripping across the top. Yeah. What's the best sandwich you've ever had? Best sandwich. And that's, that's a deep one. Colony Club, that place I was telling you about, their breakfast burger. So I figured they'd have like snow caps and jujubes and everything there. It's like nice. big, big butter sauce. It's not oh, man, the they, food's not movie themed. No, no, not at all. It's like American Five, Grill pizza, flatbread, five dollar milkshake. <laughs> what about hot dogs? You put ketchup or mustard on them? Both. Oh my goodness. All right. What was the strangest thing 
you've ever seen on the water. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story real quick. We were musky fishing. It was it would have been like early summer. This would have been early in musk in our musky game. I was in a canoe by myself. My brother and another friend of mine were in another canoe behind me, and we were fishing. They had already caught two fish out of their boat. I had stripped the guides out of one of my rods. So for any of you who don't know what that is, with these sink tip lines, once you get enough sand wrapped around the the line it acts as a chainsaw file and the guides just fall out um so since since the mutual friend had already caught a couple fish he gives me his rod which is a custom built 10 weight rod they pass me i'm i'm on the bend anchored up and i'm throwing this fly and i feel a thump 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 and then I can feel it start to move. So immediately I point the rod and I yank and I strip set and I've hooked probably, I don't know, probably a 14 or 16 inch in diameter snapping turtle in the bottom of the shell. And I'm back and I got the rod doubled over and I look down and I realize what it was. The rod snaps and with all that tension and me in the canoe with no outriggers, I tumble over into the water and I may or may not have been drinking a little bit that day and beer cans and me came floating back up to the top. And when I finally got everybody back up there, there was no snapping turtle and they didn't believe me. That was probably the wildest ride I've ever had on the water. I'd be scared with being in the water with that thing. Nah. Anything else? We pretty much covered everything I want to get out of you, at least on the first podcast. Man, I, I tell you what, I've enjoyed it. If uh, It's just kind of like these shows that we do. Let me sit around, listen to reggae music, and talk to people about fishing. That is, and drink a few beers. That's, that's just where I need to be in life. So, no, I, I appreciate you having me on, and, and I hope I didn't and mumble and stumble too much. No, man, I'm looking forward to seeing your performance at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. Just don't peer yourself on stage. I may. You have seen the movie, right? What Star- movie? A Star is Born. Dude, I don't I don't go to the movies. I don't rent movies. I got Netflix. <laughs> he sa- he's got this like he sounds like Sam Elliott in the movie, but like kind of like you. If your voice was dropped down a little bit, you'd sound like him. If you tell me that I, I right now that is that is one of the greatest. You tell me I sound like Sam Elliott, I'm all right with that. So the whole thing is Bradley Cooper's voice as the singer is based on Sam Elliott, who plays his brother in the movie. Right. I'll send you. I'll send you the uh, song to listen to. All right. Let's go. dot com. If you got any questions? I mean, so honestly, Rob, I help. I help a lot of people when they want to, we talked a lot about musky tonight. If you're interested in getting the musky game and I get it, you may not buy anything off me because you tie your own stuff, but granted I do sell fly tying materials too. Um, get on there and hit the contact me, ask me questions. If you don't want to hear all the bannering from the social media pages, I, I, I help a lot of people out that I know that I'm, I'm probably not going to get an order from. And that's fine because 
that's why I'm in this industry is not necessarily to make money, help people. Fantastic. I like hearing that. Alice, it's been a pleasure. Rob, I appreciate you, brother. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultants Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight, Western. A mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.